So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. On this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast, we are joined by Wes McGarry, author of The Impact of Biblical Ethics on Racism in Modern America. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, uh, while entering the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for the time we have together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. I want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com, and we'd encourage you to uh, go to the website and be sure to click subscribe. And uh, we also encourage you to take uh, the uh, website with you on the go. Uh, we're available on several different apps. We're on uh, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. So be sure to uh, go to any of those uh, apps and you can take the podcast with us, uh, with you on the go. Today we are joined uh, once again by uh, Wes McGarry. Uh, He is the author of the book, The Impact of Biblical Ethics on Racism in North America. Uh, So, Wes, thank you so much for being uh, with us again here on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to another good podcast, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, So, first of all, you have uh, recently uh, written a book 
uh, called The Impact on, of Biblical Ethics on Racism in North America, and it's available uh, everywhere on Amazon.com. Uh, so first of all, uh, tell us what inspired you uh, to write a book on racism. Yeah, first of all, I should probably start with, uh, as, as we work through this, you may find out that my views on various race-related issues may be a little bit contrary to that of the average individual. And, and so I, I just want to make it clear from the very get-go, I don't represent Bellator Christie and their views, and I don't represent the, the church that, um, that, I, that I work for and get the privilege to serve at. I don't represent their views, uh, nor am I anywhere close to a leading voice in Southern Baptist thought. Uh, these are just some of my uh, personal conclusions after studying the idea of uh, racism. So one of the, the reasons that I was inspired to write this book is, uh, first of all, I had to for a class. I had to write a research paper, a research project on a topic of my choice. And for quite some time, I've been interested in the uh, social issues revolving around the gospel and how the gospel can impact these various issues that we come in contact with through the church and as, as believers on a daily basis. And so I've written on various topics in this, in this realm uh, from abortion uh, and the most recent one, of course, being racism and uh, the implications thereof. And so it was kind of a born out of a have to, but also a, a desire to get the, the church a, a position uh, or an option for a position that they could adhere to and hold to. Very well said. Now, in your book, you uh, define racism, uh, giving a broad perspective, because obviously we want people to buy your book, so we don't want to give away everything, you know. Uh, but giving a give a broad perspective, uh, what working definition did you provide for the meaning of racism and even of race in general? Yeah, so the, the, the thing to keep in mind, and I, I think I make this point in the, in the book, is that there are, without a doubt, categories. Uh, and, and that's where the word race comes into to play here. There has been categories since uh, the beginning where God created man and woman. That's, that's kind of your first category as far as people are, are concerned. And to a degree, categories are not a bad thing. They are there, I think, to help us. They're there to uh, be like-minded in, in culture and ideas. And as you break down the categories into different things, uh, that is kind of where racism comes, comes into play, particularly where you're going to find the most uh, hostile idea is when you start elevating one category over another. And so that's where racism comes into play. And primarily when you are doing that, when you are elevating a certain category of people over another category of people based upon ideas that cannot even be changed. Uh, so it's, it's one thing, I still think it's wrong, but it's one thing to categorize people uh, economically. But to some extent that can be altered and that can be changed. Uh, but there are various things that we are incapable of changing in, in this life. And so when we start categorizing based upon that and then when we start elevating that one category is better than the other, that's really when racism comes in, into play. So it's more of the, the separation of categories and then how those categories play out in a hierarchy. And so that, that's, that's kind of a, a working idea of, of what racism is. I like that, and, and, you know, and that's so very true. You know, I like your comparison to um, 
socioeconomics where a person can perhaps make a change, you know, given certain circumstances, whereas race uh, is not something a person can change. I mean, it would be like, you know, I'm pretty short, you know, be like categorizing short people, right, you right. know. <laughs> so, so absolutely. So, so race are, is these categories. And so would you say uh, racism is a distinction or a bias of, of individuals based on those different categories? I, I think I would even go as far to say, at least in a negative sense, that racism is a, uh, a biased a biased category or biased way of categorizing these things um, unfairly. And so when you unfairly categorize them, I think that that's uh, based upon any kind of bias that you may or may not have towards a particular uh, group of people. And so, I, again, I, I think you could even say that it's uh, proper to categorize to some degree uh, because cultures are different. And so it's very difficult uh, for for someone of, of my culture. And you can have cultures not just on race, you can have cultures and age when it comes to language. Uh, and so, you know, the, and you can even have cultures within the same language. So younger people speak differently than older people. They use words. I'm not, I'm from the South. I've lived in the South my entire life. But every now and again, when I spend time with my wife's family, they say like particular words that I've never heard of before because they, they just weren't, weren't said in my house in my household growing up. And so, for instance, one of them was, uh, I was eating dinner with them, and so I, I think it was my wife's grandmother said, well, is it any account? And I and I was just, I just kind of looked at her. I was like, are you asking about my banking information? Or, or what, it, I, I wasn't really sure what she was asking for. And so my wife explained to me what that word meant. Uh, there's nothing wrong with using a, a word like that. It's just different, and, and that's culture. And uh, that, that's okay. In fact, she can relate to people using that sort of language in a way that I, I can't, not because I don't want to, it's just I don't know those words and I don't know how to speak in, in that manner and in, in that way. So uh, race, is it can be used for you to, to relate to certain people groups, and it's important to, to know the culture that you're uh, in whatever context you find yourself in. And so whether that's in the South, whether that's in the North, whether that's overseas, in Asia or, or whatever, uh, the, the idea of race in and of itself is not a bad thing. And even categories are not a bad thing. It's when you start to elevate those categories over one another. That's when it, I think, can very quickly become sinful from the very beginning. You know, that's very interesting. I, you know, I had a chance uh, going, going up to Liberty, meeting different people, I've met a lot of folks uh, from the Michigan area, um, also from the Minnesota area, and and they were talking about, and it's amazing here, even in the United States, how different cultures are uh, from state to state, and even within different sections of a particular state, but they were talking about uh, hunting for turtle, and having turtle stew, and I had to take a second glance. I mean, that was that was a new concept to me. Uh, but even here in the state of North Carolina, you know, even different, you know, maybe perhaps even different counties, but especially if you go from the mountains, there's a certain culture. Uh, the, the foothills have a certain culture. The research triangle certainly has a, a culture in, of its own. And then the, and in the coastal areas, you have a culture. So I, I really like that definition. And uh, it's, it's very interesting about how we, in many cases, elevate different categories over another. I, I really like that. Unfairly, but yes, it is. It is the the world that we live in. Uh, it's not right, but it's it's what we have. 
Absolutely. So now in your book, you also provide a biblical overview of racism. Uh, explain what you do in this uh, in this chapter, and and what what's the general generalized overview of your findings? Yeah. So I, I kind of broke this down broadly into to two different sections here, because uh, that's how Scripture breaks down into the Old Testament and through the New Testament. And so I, I looked at at both ideas of racism and direct ideas coming from. Uh, at least how we would perceive racism, uh, particularly slavery in, in the New Testament. And so starting with the Old Testament, there was two particular passages where uh, God appears to be racist and elevates certain people over one another. Uh, both of those occur in the book of Joshua uh, after uh, they flee slavery and they are headed towards the promised land. The problem is the promised land is inhabited at this point by the Canaanites. And God would appear to, I think it's in Joshua 10:40 and 11:25, to uh, almost divinely mandate the slaughter of these individuals uh, for whatever reason so that the people can, can have the, the land back. And so I, I, I dealt with those texts. I can't say that I dealt with them. I cited people that dealt with them and just kind of parroted their ideas because I, I like their ideas a lot and what they were saying. There's both a, a grammatical overview that you can you can take for those passages and also uh, they are um, structural. And some people even take those passages as uh, hyperbolic. And I think that that's possible. Uh, I don't know if that's always the best thing to do. I, I tend to, to stray away from that particular mindset, if at all possible. Uh, but one of the things that I, I really discovered in my research, particularly of ancient Near Eastern culture at that time, was just how brutal these individuals were, uh, especially thing uh, people such as the Assyrians. And so when you think of... Uh, the fact that God really just wanted to drive these people out of the promised land. And then you think of the fact of some of the things that the Assyrians did. And I, I was fairly detailed in some of the explanations of how the Assyrians dealt with their enemies and the, and the people that they wanted to drive out. And the big difference there is um, the Israelites were essentially repossessing a land that was already theirs. The Assyrians were just being bullies and, and going around, and it's it's horrendous, uh, inhumane, some of the things that, that they are doing. And God is not instructing them to, to do any of those sorts of things. And you also have to counter every single passage that appears to make the Israelites and God uh, as racist with other passages that make God very inclusive. And the fact that uh, God gives specific detailed instructions to where if somebody wants to become a Israelite, how do you go about doing that? What are, what are the steps that you need to take? And how can they become a, a child of God in the Old Testament? And so it, it's very difficult to elevate one person or one people group over another. Because even if you go with the fact that God may elevate the Israelites over the other people, He still gives a way for everybody to become one of God's people. And so it, it's not as if he's, he doesn't want the people. It's the exact opposite. The Assyrians have no interest in making Yahweh their God as the Israelites had. If, he, if they did, then they could very easily, well not easily, but they could become an Israelite and, um, and be one of God's people. 
very good point. I, I hope I didn't distract. Uh, I had to go look because this is a huge apologetic issue among many individuals, especially talking about the Canaanites. And I was trying to find where I, where I, what I did with the book. <laughs> We're in the process of, of, of my home office. is still... It's still <laughs> It looks awful. We've got stuff strode all over, all over the place. But uh, Paul Copan wrote a book on this called Is God a Moral Monster? Uh, Making Sense of the Old Testament God. And he comes to a conclusion very similar. Uh, in fact, I would even dare say, if not identical, to what you do here, Wes. He says the greater concern was to destroy the Canaanite religion, not necessarily the Canaanites. And so I, I think that's well put, and that's something we need to to make a distinction, and I think there just needs to be a distinction made there, that as you said, that there's this opportunity that they could worship Yahweh, they could be included in, and so I think that's a very, that's a good point, well made. Yeah, and you, you even, uh, that, then after the Old Testament, I, I dealt with a couple of those problematic texts, and uh, then I transitioned to the New Testament. It's it's pretty clear that that Jesus was about as far from a racist as you could get. Uh, the the things that he did, the way that he he interacted with the people, he broke down social barriers left and right with the people that he chose as his disciples. With, uh, for example, the woman at the well, uh, and the list just goes on and on and on. The, the uh, beggar, uh, the lame, the, the crippled, uh, he continued and continued to break down social barriers uh, left and right and so it's very very difficult to to portray Jesus as any sort of racist so that kind of the Gospels are really not a uh, a strong argument for portraying anybody and uh, any positive figure as as a racist uh, and then we the, the problem in the New Testament of course is majority of with Paul's writing Paul's just a very unique individual whom I adore but man is he complicated and uh, difficult to understand sometimes but he he speaks on racism at least clearly on five different occasions and, and through the through the book we look at each of those uh, but really when you when you break down the passages um, when I say racism I'm really again talking about the separation of categories so in first Corinthians when he talks about the differences between man and woman He's not elevating one over the other. He's he's just saying that they're different, mm. um, and so that's a that's a truth that is okay. It's a truth that we should affirm. Mm. Man is not greater than woman, and woman's not greater than man, and any sort of um, gender issue like that sh should be abolished. And same thing with um, you know skin color or any sort of other sort of race issue that that may that may occur. Uh, they're they're not better. They're not worse. They're just different. And I really think that one of the things that Paul was, was trying to do uh, and Jesus was trying to do is realize that all of these different cultures and different categories of people, if you, if you are able to, to reach them all, you're able to be a more effective uh, ministry or have a more effective ministry. Because when you go through it and you get some of the people that Jesus got, Jesus was able to relate to a lot of the people because he had fishermen, he had tax collectors, he had all of these individuals that, that really should not have been together, were together. They, they broke down the, the racial barrier within their own group. And I think because of that, that's why part of the reason why the early church really exploded is because they realized, okay, this church that, that we're talking about here in Acts chapter 2 that, that came to fruition is is radically different than uh, than anything we've ever seen before. And it's it breaks down social uh, barriers. And so uh, there's other passages that, that we could get into. Uh, the slavery ones are, are definitely a big one. In essence, it's uh, 
the point that I think Paul is making in most of those is he's really just giving directions to those that are slaves, and he even gives directions to those that are masters to those slaves and how they are to relate to one another, how they're to correspond with one another, and to treat one another. And just a, a general rule of thumb, and most people are probably aware of this, but uh, slavery then is not the, the slavery that we mm. consider to be, that we typically think about in, uh, in modern America. Uh, it's, it's not hardly ever race-related. It's more of a, we have a debt to pay, and here's how we're going to go about paying it. And when you think about it, that in and of itself is a very biblical concept. Of, you know, the borrower is slave to the lender. If you owe somebody something, pay them. Uh, and whether that's with money, whether that's with your time. And when you hearken that back to the Old Testament with the idea of the year of Jubilee and all, all those ideas, Paul continually says, if you can work out of slavery, that's something that you should strive to do. But for a lot of you, that's just not something that's going to happen. And so what you need to do is you need to honor Christ by honoring the people that you're serving, and you need to, to glorify Him through that. So it's more of how can you glorify Christ as a slave and how can you glorify Christ as a master, which, if I understand correctly, and New Testament times took up a vast majority of the population of people. And so Paul is appealing when he writes about slaves and masters to a whole bunch of people that can relate to both of those concepts. Absolutely, and there's something to be said there. I mean, this that would be for another podcast, but about the whole issue of of finances, you know, and about being indebted, you know, uh, I, I, of course, that's another time, another podcast, but but uh, great points being made there. Um, so you also combat the inherent racism that has made its way in the church. Uh, what are some ways we can combat this kind of thinking? And um, what, what are some things that you see moving forward and of course we'll come back to this as well in the last question but um what are some things that you what are some thoughts that you have on this issue one of the things that just absolutely floors me sometimes is how we think that we are are not racist and you can i i have conversations with people and for those that don't know i'm, I'm we, we live in the south unfortunately the idea of racism at least in our culture is far from dead uh, it's it's very much active but the the problem one of the problems many problems really is that nobody is going to admit that they're actually being racist and so that's like step one is you have to to know that what you're doing is wrong and you have to call it what it is which is very difficult to do and I mean we we are so insensitive to to these sorts of things um, and I, th I think that's that's a big problem uh, first of all we, we just have to identify it and identify mm -hmm. that, that we are probably much more racist than we think that we actually are and then we have to be conscious of that it's impossible and this is this is an old saying that goes back I don't know how long but I've heard it for a very long time it's impossible to fix anything that you are unaware is broken or unaware is wrong and so we, we've got to start there and, and realize that racism is a much bigger problem. I, I remember going to the, the state convention uh, back in November, and one of the, the, the pastors that spoke there, uh, who was uh, an African-American, said that he spoke in churches all throughout the South, and he said that not once was there a time where he was not welcomed, 
but he said that he felt very strongly that there would have been churches that if he had requested to join they would have denied him yeah. and i am very afraid that there are a lot of churches at least in our local area that would subscribe to that uh line of line of thinking and we would never call it racism but that's exactly what it is and we need to stop beating around the bush and we need to admit that this is a problem and i'm very proud of southern seminary particularly because of as of late they have admitted that this was an issue and southern baptists as a whole while there's still a, a long road to, to head down they they have also admitted that this is a stained past that we have mm -hmm that it's wrong and we need to, to make amends anywhere that we can. Absolutely. And um, one, of the, one of the things I was thinking about as you were mentioning that was uh, Dr. Daniel Aiken, you know, president of Southeastern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, and, and the message that he brought uh, talking about a church that had uh, fired a pastor for welcoming in a, a black family and uh, and so when they basically I won't go through all, all the details but when they asked him for a reference he basically strongly uh, <laughs> told, told him what he thought about the type of racism that they were uh, that they that they had towards this family and and how unbiblical such a thing is and so I think you're right I think it is far more prevalent than what we want to think that it is and so um, are there any other thoughts that you found in, in relation to the church and racism in general? Yeah, so the the one of the big ones is really just, and the two are probably very closely connected, is the church's unwillingness to, to speak out. And, you know, I know we recorded a, a podcast uh, not too long ago about how the church needs to be selective in, in the things that they are speaking out against. Uh, but this is this is one of them. That I think that we should we should speak out against if it's occurring. Now, if it's if it's not actually not occurring, and I'm sure that there are some churches that this does not occur in, and there are some uh, local bodies of believers that that do that uh, obliterate racism, um, which is uh, praise God for those churches. Uh, but when it when it's there, it needs to be confronted. We we so often just put our heads in the dirt and forget just hope that these things go away and, and forget about them and that's just not the thing to do uh, we, we've got to be willing to, to take a stand because i think that this is uh, a, a direct gospel issue and one of the, the things going back to the, the biblical overview was the universality of, of two things in regards to humanity the first one is sin and that puts us on an even playing field with everybody every single person no matter gender no matter race no, anything it, it doesn't matter we are all equal in that regard that we've all sinned except for one Christ, of course, mm -hmm. and then we have the uh, the fix for that, which is Christ, that we all have that opportunity to repent and turn to Him and believe in the gospel. And so that's that's a that's a key component that we need to understand is that we have that as Americans, Europeans have that, Asians have that, everybody has that. That we all have the same two universal truths that we are sinners in need of God's grace. Uh, and there's nothing that we can do except for receive that, that grace from him. And so I don't know if, if it goes back to a problem of improper uh, application to biblical texts, maybe. I, I don't really know how racism began in its, in its roots. I know it's been along for a very long time, uh, and we have neglected to do anything formally. And it's, it's like this with a lot of social issues that are deemed important. 
in, in concept and in theory, we, we speak out against them even sometimes, but yet we never want to let the rubber meet the road and, and actually do anything about it. And, uh, and there's things that, that can be done for, for racism. Chiefly is call it what it is and, and then deal with it uh, for whatever, however that, and that looks different in, in certain contexts and, and different cultures. And um, it's, it's tough to give a blanket statement as to how to fix these things because of that. One of the things that I have found just, just personally is when you make the conscious effort to talk to people or get to know people from different backgrounds and different cultures, uh, it, it really goes a long way in, in helping to understand how much we really do have in common. Now, as far as I know different people have different worldviews, and you know, I'm not talking about that, but as far as going back to the core essentials as what you were mentioning, that the fact that we are all sinners and the fact that uh, w the humanity of individuals are essentially you know, the same in that regard, no matter what they look like or what, from where they come, uh, I think that personally has helped me uh, to be able to appreciate individuals from different cultures, different backgrounds, just getting to know people who who are maybe outside the box of where we may be hmm. or something of the sort. And, and even, at least here in good old Surrey County, you know, we, we tend to think that they, that there's not a racially diverse community. That's just a lie. I mean, hmm. it's, it's, it's just, that's so far from the truth. Uh, it may not be as prevalent as the the research triangle area down near Raleigh or something like that, but it is here, and and, and we have to, to to know that it that it is there, and sometimes that takes a as you stated a conscious effort on our parts to, to go the extra mile, to just make that sort of attempt at a conversation with other individuals that, that may not look like us or think like us or act like us. Um, it's almost as if there was a guy about two thousand years ago that did something just like that. You know, <laughs> it's why can't why why did we stop following that example? And, and how did we how do we misconstrue what Jesus did then to how we're just simply not doing it today? Mm, very good, very good point. Very good point indeed. So, what applications did you discover as it relates to America, the American Church, and her relationship with racism? In the book, I specifically tackled two different, uh, at the time, I would still say probably still prevalent uh, race-related issues. And I, again, I tackled them by essentially quoting other people because people are smarter than I am, so why, well, why, why, reinvent, <laughs> why reinvent the wheel here, you know? Um, and the first one was illegal immigration, which is, like, I wonder, are we on day 30 of 33 something like that of a something, shutdown something like that and 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 that's it's supposedly based upon a wall that is, <laughs> that is directly related to illegal immigration and um and so i, I don't want to give away all of my concluding thoughts when it when it comes to that but uh, I, I think we can all agree to some extent that the system particularly in american culture or american law is broken for immigration and, and, and needs to be reformed in, in some way, shape, or form. Now, I, I, I don't know all the answers, and I, I make that abundantly clear. I, I don't. I'm not an expert in anything. I'm just. I'm one of those people that kind of dabbles in a lot of different things, and 
I think it's that's a, why we get along so well. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I try to know a little bit about everything instead of being an expert in a few things. And so I know just enough about politics and, and American law to be dangerous. And so uh, I know one of the, the complexities or one of the things that I found in, in studying a particularly illegal immigration is the complexity of the system that, that we currently have in our, our politics and our government. One of the things that, and I again, this, as far as I know, this is an idea, and I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit here, that is original to me, and I don't have a lot of original thoughts, come to find out, uh, but this, this is one that really struck out to me. One of the problems, and I remember this growing up specifically, and it's, it's, it's still prevalent today, one of the, the issues with illegal immigration is that companies are paying uh, immigrants that have crossed the border illegally lower wages than what they have to because they're not actual American citizens. And so I began to think through that idea and essentially what I labeled that idea as is sophisticated slavery. Uh, it's a little bit better maybe than slavery but at the same time um, companies are, are doing this and I, I you know from the south North Carolina particularly I grew up down the street from a, a very large tobacco farm and I remember they would go uh, every year about the same time uh, with about three or four of those big 15 passenger vans and they would go load up a bunch of people that were uh, illegal immigrants and they would pay them three bucks an hour to go prime tobacco and I've never primed tobacco I'm gonna imagine it's probably worth a little bit more than three bucks an hour but the reason that they did that is is because it's it's, it's cheap labor mm -hmm. and in essence you are devaluing them as people as a whole that they're not worth the what Americans are worth um, and that's that's a problem so it's gonna take a an asserted effort from people to be more ethical in general and if we're willing to do that then uh, then I think we'll, we'll go maybe not a long ways but that's that that's something that was really that really struck struck a chord with me is is it's just one big sophisticated form of slavery uh, when you start doing things uh, like that and so that that was a that was an eye-opening to, to me that that was the when I when I discovered that that's really when I realized this is a this is a much bigger issue than than I think we, we understand uh, particularly uh, illegal immigration well you know I, I have kind of had some similar thoughts to that and I may get in trouble for saying this but it wouldn't be the first time but um, it wouldn't be the first time I got in trouble, one would I say. But the issue, part of the problem, I think, as we're talking about this, and, and I, I understand the concerns on both sides, but let's be honest. I, I've heard a lot of people complain about the, his, the number of Hispanic individuals we have in the South, yet the same people who complain were among those that you just described mm -hmm. who went down and, and uh, gathered up a bunch of people for for very very cheap labor and to to me and quite honestly I mean you know I don't I don't claim to have the answers on this issue because I know it's multifaceted but I, I have met some wonderful wonderful Latino individuals that I consider good close personal friends and you know I know the environments in which they came from and I know we can't save the world I understand that's going to be an objection people give. But at the same time, I, I understand the desire for individuals um, coming up and, I, and leaving certain areas where there are cartels, drug cartels, things of this nature. It's very unsafe. I, I can understand a person's desire to make a better life for themselves. 
uh, I, I do come back to the, something that you mentioned, and I think maybe this is one of the more critical issues, is that we do have a broken immigration yeah. system. And I think, if, you know, one of the things, just personally speaking, uh, for me, myself, and I, I think that's one of the issues I think we need to look at fixing is the immigration issue and, and having a way where we can allow people who, who want to come and, 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 and be a citizen to have that opportunity to do so. What does that look like? I don't know. Well, the Kristen Heyer, a Heyer, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce her last name, one of the individuals that I, that I cited, um, she, she wrote a book entitled A Christian Ethic. Uh, of immigration, a kinship across borders, a Christian ethic of immigration. Fairly recently, in 2012, uh, so I mean seven years ago or so, uh, but she uh, kind of had a, an interesting, not really interesting or mind-blowing take on this. But she said that one of the things that we can do as as Christians that to combat illegal immigration, this was more of an implication of what she said, I guess, was through. Uh, foreign missions, which which I didn't really understand at first. I began to kind of flesh that out just a little bit. The idea that the reason, one of the reasons that so many people or that people come to America from other countries is because of, of what you, kind of what you said, that they are, they come from rough countries. They, they come from very bad situations from, from where they were born. And so if we can share the gospel in those areas and, and get those countries almost to reform in their their line of thinking that uh, that will reduce the amount of people that are that have the desire to leave those those countries and so she she approached it from the idea of uh, limiting of course those, those that come across the border but she does it in a humane way that is we need to help them uh, understand that their country is broken and our country's broken too. That's what's so mind blowing to me is, is maybe yes, our country is one of the greatest in the world, no doubt. But um, it's far from perfect, and there are things that we need to improve upon. And so, uh, but yeah, when when people are are coming over to to America, they're most of the time, or at least some of the time, leaving from a, a hostile uh, situation, especially when you talk about Syrian refugees and and things of that nature. And so, it's just as much helping the countries other countries make their uh, people understand these ideas as well uh, as far as uh, Im improving that. She doesn't really give a lot of details as far as how to do that because I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that that's a practical idea. In theory, I think that's awesome. I think that would be a great thing to do. But I have no idea how to even start doing something like that. But if we can reduce the need for people to come to America then by and large, our our immigration system would would work because if I understand correctly, one of the problems with the immigration system is so many people are wanting to come to America yeah. legally that there's just this massive backlog. And so if we could reduce the overall amount of people, that would reduce the backlog and, and make people uh, American citizens. And we can even, uh, you know, some people say that we need to be more selective about becoming American. I, I'm not going to get into all that or anything <laughs> like but um, she brought about an interesting interesting point that if we'll take the Gospels to the nations like we're supposed to, that in a, in a way that that could possibly help with the, the issue of illegal immigration. Good in theory, 
don't know how practical it is, uh, but but it was an interesting idea nonetheless. Absolutely. So now moving forward, what is your hope for the American church as it relates to the problem of racism? I mean, it, it or and maybe there may be some concluding thoughts uh, that you would like to leave with our listeners about some, some ways that we can combat this as we've been talking about, maybe some additional thoughts on that. Uh, but what is overall your hope for uh, the American church? Well, I think it first starts with admitting that it's a problem, and we, we've already kind of talked about that. I think it also, after admitting that it's an issue that is still prevalent, I think we are we need to repent for the way that, that we've handled it in the, in the past. And to a degree, this has been done, and I think it was 1995, the SBC passed a resolution denouncing all, all forms of, of racism, and that's that's great. About, I don't know, way too late to, to do that at that point, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad nonetheless that they did that. I think that was, that was a good move. So we have, first have to admit that there's a problem, that it's that is prevalent. Then we have to, I think, repent for, for what we've done. And, and then we, we have to, to be proactive in what we're doing. And for a lot of people, that, that comes down to, and this is about as political as I get, I don't share a lot of my personal political convictions, but I do believe in voting. And I, I think it does come down to voting people into office, both at the local and the, the federal level, to... Um, to promote the ideas that the church should have towards mm-hmm. racism, I think when you the the overall concluding factor through the scripture is that God is not a racist. People should not be racist. We're all sinners, and we all need His grace. I think that's the one of the prevailing themes, especially the second part there that we're all sinners in need of grace. That's a prevailing theme throughout all of Scripture. And one of the things that I I discuss in the book is how throughout all of church history, I mean, nearly all of it, it's just been one big racial slur after another towards towards people. The the early church was upset with the Jews and very anti-Semitic. That carried over into the Reformation. I love Luther to death. I think he's he's a hero in modern Christianity. But, man, that guy was way off on mm-hmm. this, uh, very anti-Semitic, uh, really, and it was, it, through my research of Luther particularly, it almost seems like in his early life that he had a, a, a care for the Jews, yeah. and something occurred to, all of a sudden, these are the worst people on the face of the planet. I don't know if he realized that these are the people that crucified my Savior, but I mean, you, you have people throughout early church um, even even in maternity, when uh, the Southern Baptists formed out of the issue of slavery, yeah, that's right, and that hurts. I mean, it hurts to my core that that is the reason that that it formed. And what even hurts more is the fact that the Southern Baptists are almost—I I don't want to say succeeding, but they're much more prevalent than their what they split off from. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they split is absolutely uh, shameful. Absolutely. The, the, and, and for those that don't know, uh, they split over the issue of racism. The um, Southern Baptists had, or Baptists in the South, had slaves, uh, and was particularly over uh, sending missionaries who had slaves to other countries. And when you think about just how ludicrous of an idea that is, um, so I'm glad Southern Baptists have, have since uh, re- attempted at least to right their wrongs and say what you want about J.D. Greer and his 
semi-Calvinistic beliefs <laughs> and how controversial those are, I, I think that he is is going to be a a good voice to to reconciling some of these these differences in the upcoming uh, year. So I'm excited for for that. We got a long ways to go, uh, both from the local level and even um, even in the in the convention level as well. Uh, we just got to start making small steps forward, realizing uh, and being sensitive towards towards other people. Absolutely, and I would I'd like to just add, you know, we we had at the very in, the very beginning of the podcast, as uh, we just this past Monday celebrated Martin Luther King Day, we had we have uh, at the uh, introduction of the podcast the I Have a Dream speech, but I want to also just add this one concluding thought that Christians when they take a stand against systemic racism have have made a great impact. I think of guys like William Wilberforce, John Wesley, many others who took a stand um, against this type of practice, and that went a long way in abolishing uh, the systemic uh, slavery of individuals. And as Wes said, I mean, this isn't just just, uh, just towards one race. I know I'm, I think I'm about half Irish. I want to do that Ancestry.com thing to, to see. But uh, I know Irish individuals were at one time enslaved. Jew, I mean, Jews, of course, we remember the Holocaust and the times that they have been persecuted. So this this isn't just about one particular race. This is an overall categorical um, elevation of one group of people over another. And Wes, I think you've done a good job in exposing this issue. So we want to encourage everyone to go pick up a copy of Wes McGarry's book, The Impact of Biblical Ethics on Racism in Modern America. Uh, I think I may have misspoken and titled it uh, The Impact on uh, Biblical Ethics on Racism in North America, but it's actually Modern America. Uh, So once again, go pick up your copy of The Impact of Biblical Ethics on Racism in Modern America. You can find that on Amazon.com. Wes McGarry, this is Brian Chilton, and you've been listening to the Bellator Crystal Podcast. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese. Performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not represent those of Bellator Christie or its affiliates. This podcast is protected under Creative Commons copyright and all rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonis, and performed by Crosby Lane. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll receive all the episodes as soon as they are released. Visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe to receive the latest articles in your inbox. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.